Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Real Talks. I'm your host, David Steele, and I'm along with my co-host, Ilwa Orism. Just a friendly reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can always follow us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Just search Real Talks. That's R-E-E-L Talks. Just like my name, S-T-E-E-L-E. Also, you can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at WannabeRounder, LinkedIn, and on Instagram at DKadudo. Where can they find you, Willowa? I'm also on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram, both under the name Eloaura Zen, which should be easy to find. So it's E-L-O-A-O-R-A-Z-E-M. Just a couple quick announcements. Our Patreon channel recently went live. You can find it by typing Real Talks into the search bar. Let me tell you a little about it. We're offering five different levels to support us at. $5, $10, $20, $30, and $40. If you do choose to support us, you'll have the opportunity to get some great perks, such as your name shouted out before every podcast, cool merch, and if you're one of our major contributors, you'll get a one-hour monthly Zoom meeting with Ilua and myself. For more details, just head on over to the website. I'll leave the link in the description. Which leads me to my next big announcement. Flashback Fridays are underway. This is where Ann Cargard and myself will be discussing films from the past. The first film we talked about was Iron Man. And then we're going to be doing every single MCU movie chronological order. Stay tuned for this week's episode where we'll be talking about Iron Man 2. I can't reiterate enough guys. Hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. So this is our weekly roundup show. We'll be discussing current events and fun things that happen in the entertainment world. We start off with the major film festivals, and that's Cannes. I'll tell you about a few films being shown there. The new Avatar movie nearly broke records and exploded online. I'll tell you how many views it got. Disney CEO Bob Chapek says he's have, having, quote, difficulty getting things released in China. Hmm. I'll let you know what he said. And finally, just for you, Illua... One of the Shining props went on sale for a ridiculous amount of money. I'll tell you what they paid for it coming up, but we do have to pay the bills. We'll be back in 60 seconds. You've been singing a while, but the same problems keep coming up. Trouble with high notes, tone you don't like, performance nerves, but you know you can become a better singer. Being a singer, the art, craft, and science includes world-class training, self-assessments, and troubleshooting, along with stories, celebrity interviews, history, and philosophy, so you can find your own voice. Being a singer, the art, craft, and science, because you can become a better singer. For more information, visit lindabalero.com slash resources. That's Linda, B-A-L-L-I-R-O dot com. Okay, we're back. So, our first big story is from Variety. And this is for the Cannes Film Festival, one of the biggest film festivals in the world. So, this is what they had to say. The Cannes Film Festival is back at full swing for the first time since 2019 
and just in time to mark the iconic event's 75th anniversary. While the 2021 edition of Cannes was a muted affair, with the market going virtual, and the sale of Gerard Butler's Greenland sequel sold to STX emerging as the hottest deal, this year's market is back in person with a dynamic broad array of packages on offer, including a healthy serving of action titles, sci-fi thrillers, and historical dramas. Here's some of the top titles sparking the interest from buyers. So I'm just going to read you a couple of these and you just see if they sound halfway interesting. We, the first one here is by David Ayer, the director of The Suicide Squad. The movie's called The Beekeeper. Jason Strahan arguably leads one buyer is arguably the most fun and broadly commercial package hitting the cans this year. The action stars in a hopeful franchise launch that is about a, a former operative of from a powerful group called the Beekeepers who set out for revenge when his identity is blown. We got Breathe, After Earth. So this is going to be a sci-fi movie, sci-fi thriller. After Earth is left uninhabitable due to a lack of oxygen. Mia, this is actually Jennifer Hudson and Mia Jojovich. So Maya, Jennifer Hudson, and her daughter are forced to live underground with short trips to the surface only possible via special oxygen suits. When a mysterious couple arrives claiming to know Darius, that's, I believe, I'm going to imagine their son, and their fate, Mia tenderly agrees to let them into the bunker, but all they appear to be. And one of the last movies that is there is Dirty Dancing, believe it or not. They're actually remaking Dirty Dancing with Jennifer Grey. Baby's back in her corner with this sequel to the seminal 1987 movie, which actually premiered at Cannes that year, too. And Jennifer Grey is reprising her roles as Frances Baby Houseman, who returns to the Kellerman Resort in the 1990s. The sequel is billed as a coming-of-age romance that follows Frances' daughter at the resort. And, of course, Patrick Swayze was in that one many years ago. So, do any of these hold any interest to you? Well... Honestly, it's interesting to me. Keynes, I think, is always interesting in general, but I think I'm a bit surprised that I feel like Keynes, and I want to hear your input on that. Keynes was, was always the B version of the Oscar, meaning not last, but it's just like the alternative one. I think they are known for showcasing, oh man, I don't know how to put it in not a snobbish way, but more meaningful, I guess, or more or movies that are more intense and deep. In some ways, they're going to pay tribute to Tom Cruise, right? And and Top Gun is going to be there, too. Well, Top Gun was, Maverick, was supposed to premiere there and actually did not get the full release that they wanted. So that was what they did the world premiere on a uh, aircraft carrier. So, yeah, it can be. I find it interesting, though, that they're doing because usually Kansas is more for the dramatic roles. So I find it interesting that they're actually doing more sci-fi and more romance and more they're, they're broadening the horizon. So it's going to be interesting which if any of these I imagine the Dirty Dancing one's going to get picked up if it already hasn't. The action one with uh, Jason Statham. He's one of the biggest action stars out there. I imagine he's going to get picked up too. I mean, there there is a boatload of other ones that I just didn't go through. But yeah, that's going to be a fascinating... So this film festival here in Sundance are usually the two big ones. And so we'll see what gets picked up. I imagine it will be... Well, I think we'll hear about these more in the future, for sure. 
So, but I, I bet a lot of people are gonna be like, oh, this is not cons anymore. You know, this is not canes anymore. This is different. You know, like every time there's some sort of change, there are always someone complaining, and I don't think this year is gonna be different because they're. I feel like they're broadening up their spectrum. I mean, but you can never make everybody happy. I found it interesting that they're remaking Dirty Dancing. It's for a whole new generation. I mean, we won't talk about Havana Nights. <laughs> I don't even know. Was that even supposed to be a sequel? I mean, let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah, it was just bad. So, yeah, it, we'll see what happens there. But moving on, we have Avatar. And this one... So, let me ask you, have you seen the first Avatar? Absolutely, yeah. Who hasn't, right? Okay, I, I'm i about the only person in America that hasn't. You haven't seen it? I've not seen Avatar. It just didn't. Oh, my God. Let's, okay, guys, podcast over. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Anyways, almost 13 years later, James Cameron's coming out with his sequel, Avatar The Way of Water. And this actually first premiered at CinemaCon. And so if you were lucky enough to go to one of the showings of the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness slot in IMAX, you saw the trailer. So this trailer in the first day online, Ilwa, take a guess. I'm probably won't even come close, but take a guess at how many views this thing had in the first day. I'm going to say 26 million just because I'm trying to be very... 148.6 million views in one day. Well, it was, I think it was the most watched movie, right? Avatar holds a record for that. Yeah, for many years. The first teaser trailer for James Cameron's sequel, Avatar The Way of Water, wrote a huge wave of interest when it debuted early online Monday after playing exclusively in cinemas over the weekend. The teaser finished its first 24-hour online window with 148.6 million views, including 23 million from China alone, which we'll get to in a few minutes, according to Disney's Cinema and 20th Century Fox. That's ahead of all the recent Star Wars films, including Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Like Avatar 2, the teaser trailer for that film also played exclusively in theaters first. Avatar's 2's views on YouTube and across social media does not include the millions of people watching the teaser on the big screen before the Doctor Strange into the Multiverse of Madness, which opened to an enormous $187 million domestically and nearly $450 million overseas. In terms of other trailers comparison, the Universal's F9, The Fast Saga, nabbed 202 million views in 24 hours. Black Widow got 116 8 million views, The Incredibles 2, 113.1 million, and The Rise of Skywalker, 112.4. Cameron's sequel, which hits theaters December 16th, centers on returning Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington, along with Zoe Saldana's character and their family and the lengths they would go to keep each other safe. Released in 2009, Cameron's Avatar is the top-grossing film of all time in the worldwide box office with 2.84 billion dollars not adjusted for f inflation. The original Avatar will be released in cinemas on September 13th, Restored Picture and Sound. So they're actually going to do it in 3D, but... But I have a question for you. I have a question. Go for it. What do you think about this gap? 10 years. for Like, 10 years. Yeah, so, I mean, there was a lot of, like, oh, it's never going to happen. It's just... I mean, it's worse than watching paint dry, right? <laughs> so I think that... So let me first say, 
I was one of the lucky ones that saw it in IMAX, the, the trailer in IMAX. And I got to say, Ilwa, visually, it looks spectacular. Unbelievable. I mean, it's like 2009. I mean, the whole new technology, I just was, wow. But as far as the time, I think everybody wanted a sequel. But I think Cameron was just trying to outdo himself. And it's so difficult. I mean, we've talked about this on other, other podcasts where sequels are just so hard to, to make better than the original because the expectation is there. Especially if it's that one. Yeah. So that all being said, though, I think this is going to be unbelievable. And it's interesting. I cannot even try to understand why Avatar is so successful. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's because it was a whole new technology. Was, so you think it's just about a technology? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all about story. And I think the story had something to do with it. But I really believe that developing this technology and doing this, I mean, you got to understand, this guy is one of the biggest, best filmmakers of the last 25 years. No, I don't understand that. I don't think Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, yeah. I, I tend to agree with you, though. I think the length during what it was is just too long. But I think if this is going to do what everybody's thinking this is going to do, it's going to... Now, I will say one thing about these numbers. I always talk about numbers and everything else. I think that YouTube numbers can get a little inflated, right? Because let, I'm not saying that these people stop 15 seconds in and say, oh, okay, I'm done with it. But... Let's face it, If and I don't know any of the analytics and I don't know the algorithms or anything else, but I will say this. You can hit, I mean, I'm, you watch YouTube every day, I'm sure, for something. So you can hit the play button for a certain video, play it for 15 seconds, hit stop, hit play again, and that will count as another play. I would be very curious to find out how many of those were repeat views. So, yeah, I mean... But the other thing I found fascinating, too, it goes on to say here that there was 23 million views from China alone. Now, factor this in for a minute. So that means there was 125 million views from here in the United States, which is unbelievable. I'm not discounting that. But it was only 125 million. And I say only because if they had 23 million overseas in just China... And that's one of the biggest countries in the world. Do you think a little interest has kind of gone away? Because what you were just talking about, it's been so long? I feel like, you know, for the because it still holds so many records, I think it's always interesting. People talk about it. And because it's James Cameron, of course, and Zoe Saldana and, and great actors. But it is important to notice that, like you mentioned, YouTube views can be tricky, but YouTube has been pretty good about trying to reloaded viewers so those viewers that keep reloading pages they're usually not counted as far as i'm aware for youtube to count a view you have to watch at least 30 seconds of it and you have to intentionally click on it so so if it's just playing everything that is here on a playlist it doesn't really count so i feel like it shows the buzz that it's going to make and i'm very curious maybe people are being saudosista would be the English, the, the Portuguese word, but something like 
they're missing something, you know, they're longing for something, maybe even themselves, because let's face it, 10 years, a decade is a new generation almost, right? So you're not, I, I don't remember myself 10 years ago. I was 24, 25, you know, like I was so freaking young. I, I had a different approach and view on the world. So of course, what I thought about the movie at that time is definitely not what I'm going to think about the movie today because I'm a different person. But maybe if I miss that girl, watching that movie is going to bring me back a little. So maybe there's something that there's an emotional connection to that movie and the time that it was played 10 years ago. And I think that's why he's re-releasing it, the original, in September, to get all of the juices fired up, for lack of a better term, to get people reignited. Because don't forget, we're only in May, and you've got what? May, June, July, August. So you've got another five months, five and a half months before this thing's even re-released. So I think people are going to forget about it. And I think you're going to see a big campaign, too, on, I mean, not necessarily on television, but definitely on social media. And you're going to see, come out and see Avatar in 3D and end of September, blah, blah, blah. And that's going to get the push going for the new one. So there's nothing really going to be coming out that I can think of off the top of my head coming out right around that time. So I guess the question then becomes, how much do you think it makes? I mean, and the reason I say that, here's the, here's the reason I say that. Doctor Strange, which he has Marvel and everything else, but it was okay. And by the way, if you want to go back, go ahead. If, if you have already, go take a listen to my spoiler cast and I'll give you all my thoughts on the Doctor Strange movie. But the, here's the thing. That movie was mediocre, okay? And that made $187 million in the opening weekend, Illua. So, how much do you think that this, even with the reignited, come see at the end of September, they're going to push that, how much do you think this makes? Well, it's hard to know, especially because we talked about it, right? It's, it's kind of hard to just talk about the gross profit or the box office because... Prices are so different. The fact that they even say in an article when you're reading two point something billion dollars, not counting the inflation. No, you're which right. Makes a huge difference. So it's like, of course, it's going to be more profitable. I think it's going to be profit more profitable than Doctor Stranger for sure. Do you think it gets two hundred million? I think so. Yeah. I think we might have the first. This I could be wrong about this, but I think this might be the first time in history that you might have two. And this, and the, well, let me finish my thought and then I'll say that what I was going to say. This might be the first time that you might have two films in the same year make $200 million in its opening weekend. I mean, I'm trying to think back. I know the Avengers did it. You know, I know Jurassic World did it. But the, I mean, there's only eight or nine movies ever to make $200 million. See that? And that just tells you what kind of club that is. I mean, the fact you have. Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, Spider-Man No Way Home, Black Panther, Jurassic World, The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and there's one other movie which I always forget, but there's only eight movies. And to have two in the same year, that would be incredible. So I suppose I have to go back and watch the first Avatar. No, my other thought was this. There isn't anything out, if I'm not mistaken, and I could be wrong, but I don't think there's anything out right around that time that would lead me to indicate that this is going to 
challenging, right? I mean, for example, what I'll say is this, like Doctor Strange just made 187, right? Top Gun is not coming out until the end of the month. Now, that's projected to make over 100 million. So I'm looking at it right now. You've got Shazam, which is a sequel to the, the first Shazam. That's coming out the week after it. And really nothing. I mean, that is the only that is the only movie that maybe, but that's the week after. So I get a feeling, and I'm going to call this right now. I get a feeling this is going to make over $200 million. I'm, a, I'm in your camp here because with if this whole movie looks as good as those two minutes or two minutes and 15 seconds, it, I'll be honest with you, it's worth the wait. Now, here's what I'll say. Cameron said he wants to make four more movies. Now, if that's the case, for his sake, I hope he has them all written. I hope he has those people locked in, and I hope he has those people written. I hope he has a script written, because there is no way that they are going to wait another four, five, ten years to have this thing come out in 2030. There's no way, because people say, the hell with that. And I think part of it might have been deliberate, too. Because, you know, you get them chopping at the bit, even though there had been all these rumors, and now to finally have it? I don't know. Honestly, one of my favorite scenes of every movie that I've watched is from The Secret of the Eyes, the Argentinian original one, of course. And there is a, a very powerful scene where it's a detective. You know, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but it's no. a detective investigating the a crime. And he's kind of out of a lead to know where the killer is. And then he's, the guy who's helping him out is like this crazy alcoholic guy, very funny. And then he says, something that people never change is the passion. So follow the passion. If this movie creates the same hysteria, passion, that we've seen from other movies, people will wait. I'm not saying they're going to wait patiently. They might resist and all that. But we have people that are friends of Star Wars forever, you know, like in, in other movies. It's like, if it is a passion... People wait. That's a great point. But I will say one thing. With Star Wars, you had... So with the first three movies, when the first one came out in 77, and then the next one came out in 80, and then Turn Jedi came out in 83, you had about 15 years between when Jedi came out and Phantom Menace. It was actually 99, so about 16 years. So it's about an every 20-year thing. But there were so many fans that loved it. And... I think a lot of people say that there was always a story that people always wanted to know how Anakin became Darth Vader. That was the one, because when we are introduced to Darth Vader in 1977, he's already been Darth Vader. But how did he get there? And that was the one key thing. So yes, to your point, and I would, I, as long as the passion's still there, it looks like the passion's still there. I don't know. I'm, say, I'm just pointing it out. If it does create that passion, because from my from my understanding, there's not a character like a str- I honestly don't remember the name of any character in Avatar, any. I don't remember. I have to watch it again. I remember the story. Of course, I remember there was a guy that was in a wheelchair, and then whenever he would go to the Avatar world, he would, you know, have his whole body functionally, just properly and. I remember a lot, of, a lot of details, but not the name. So it's, there's not like a character that I can intimately relate in a way. 
to identify to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's not like, you know, like, I don't know, Yoda or whatever it is, you know what I'm talking about? Well, I, I, I think the other thing, too, is I think it's merchandising, right? I mean, let's face it. There, you, and I could be totally wrong, but you didn't have all these Avatar toys running around in 2008, 2009, being sold at, you know, Walmart and, and Target and everything else. Whereas all these Star Wars things were all over the place. I want to say that part of the buzz, and man, people might kill me for that, but I think that maybe part of the buzz and maybe why people like so much. Remember, it's a movie that was released 10 years ago. And the plot, the bottom line is that we need to take better care of nature. Something that now we're almost tired of freaking saying, right? But 10 years ago, that wasn't exactly the case. So I feel like maybe that's why it was also so powerful, right? Now that everyone's kind of, I get it, climate change, I know, I have to do that, I have to be better. I don't know if people are going to love something that... Well, I mean, but to your point, though, the movie Don't Look Up, okay? Now, if you saw the movie Don't Look Up, it was on Netflix, it was with Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Meryl Streep and all these stars, Jonah Hill, that was a movie that you arguably... It hit you over the head with being, you know, I mean, the whole thing, it was a, it was a spoof. Like, this thing is coming to Earth and, and we're all going to die. And these two people, you know, they were saying we're all going to die and they didn't believe them. But it was more of a spoof than anything else. But it was the overall message there was, guys, just be nice to each other. I mean. I don't think that was the message at all, really. Not all of it. But at the same time, there was some of it where I think it was it, it it could have been overbearing. Completely disagree. I don't think there's nothing to do about each other. It's about their scientists listen to scientists. Well, you know? that, that, that's that's what basically yeah. that was a little part of it. But you're right. It was be science is this thing that's a fact, and if you don't want to listen to us, you you've seen the consequences. Yeah. Okay. So. But since all those views were in China, let's move on to something a little more interesting, if you will. Disney CEO Bob Chapek on the, quote, difficulty for getting films released in China like they need the money, right? This comes from Deadline. With Marvel's global juggernaut, Doctor Strange missing in action in China, Disney CEO Bob Chapek called the situation there, quote, very fluid and very complicated both from a business standpoint and from a political standpoint, end quote. But he did note that Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness had just crossed a $500 million mark in less than a week without China, which hasn't released a Marvel movie since the Avengers Ed game in 2019. We've got a long track record of success and a strong fan base for all of our brands and franchises in this market, he told Wall Street on a post-earnings conference call in response to a question. We'll continue to submit our films for release. And it's worth noting, I think, though, that at the time, we're still having some difficulty in getting our films in China, that Doctor Strange did extraordinarily well. So we're pretty confident that even without China, if it were to be that we continue to have difficulties in getting titles in there, that it didn't necessarily preclude our success given relation lower take that we're getting on the box office in China that we do across the world. Deadline had reported that Benedict Cumberbatch star seemed now 
likely to open there after making waves on local social media for a scene on a newspaper kiosk with the Chinese character. Forgive me if I, I butcher this name for the Epcot Times in an international multi-language newspaper and media company that opposes the Chinese Communist Party. It had been submitted, but no release date approved. The first Doctor Strange grows to $109 million in the PRC. That's People's Republic of China. China and Hollywood have always had complicated relations. The United States executive says it's been a bit more since the film industry and the vetting of foreign submissions was put under the direct control of the Communist Propaganda Department in 2018. Execs during the international session in CinemaCon last month said films often are rejected outright but linger after being submitted with no, a release date never set. Eternals did not open in China after controversy about year-old comments about Chloe Zhao that resurfaced during the run during her Oscar-winning no, running Nomadland. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ted Rings was held up too, possibly to one of the characters who had been criticized as a stereotype. And Black Widow never got a release date too. And this was true of Spider-Man No Way Home. So I guess the take here is it seems to me that Marvel's doing just fine. And this is not so much a superhero thing as a business thing. No Way Home made $260 million in its first weekend domestically. It went on to gross almost a billion dollars. But 800 did grow over on to gross over a billion dollars. 800, here, $800 million here domestically. The way I feel about this is China... They don't need to put their, even though it's the biggest market in the world, they don't need to put their films in there, in that country. And, and I'm not trying to be political or anything else, but Marvel is doing just fine. Yeah, but could it do a lot better? That's why, that's why we have Disney's executives saying that. Like, uh, it's tricky and all that because, like, of course they want to be in China. Everybody does. Everybody wants money. No, absolutely. They're, right. They're doing fine, but... And see, I mean, Che Pack in himself is, is just... He's a mess by himself. But the point is that if this move... I mean, to gross half a billion dollars in a, in a single week worldwide, that's incredible. I, you don't need the money. And this is Disney just being Marvel being Marvel. I watched a fascinating masterclass on with uh, Bob Iger and how he was talking about when, how he acquired Marvel and everything else. But he said it wasn't for the money. I'm not doing this to just gain properties and everything else. I want to make things for the fans. But the point is, I don't really think this... That was China. I'll be honest with you. I, 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 I think that... I mean, look, when it comes to certain things, they are a trade. We need even trade and everything else. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, the, theatrically, if Marvel never releases another movie in China, it's not going to break them. Shang-Chi opened to $75 million here, went on to gross almost $400 million domestic. So, I mean, Black Widow, that was a little different, but I mean, still, made $120 million here domestically opening weekend. We don't need China. Oh, That's just more money in their pocket. And to say they're having difficulty? Exactly what they want. They want money in their pocket. You know, I just, I've got to, I really, I wonder about that. I think that comment was more for the shareholders than it was for the run-of-the-mill person. Because, yeah, I mean, that's like doctors. Shareholders. So is whatever Bob Iger said on your masterclass that he bought Marvel 
because oh come on he of course he bought it for money that's bullshit i'm sorry he, no that's okay i mean he and, and you're right because it's called show business it's called show business not show friends exactly and that's Keep it so profitable. We only approve things. I was like, come on. Yeah. So nonetheless, I think that Disney is going to be just fine. JPEG just needs to never release another thing in China again. And I'll be honest with you. When they start clamoring, okay, when they see how much money this is making for everybody else, and, you know, it's like the kid that wants the cookie. When they, you know, see how everybody else has cookies except him, and they're going to say, well, why can't we have one? Well, who is going to be the, doing that? So, I mean... I don't understand. You think China is going to be saying this way? The thing is, China wants these things, too. And the, the difference, their citizens just won't... They can't say it. I mean, so then, yeah, we're assuming that Chinese people want that because it's a massive entertainment product. But, yeah, they're not going to have it for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, they have nothing to complain about making half a billion dollars in a single week. I know, they're just fine. Anyways, moving on to our final subject of the day. So, let me preface. So, you told me you saw The Shining when you were eight. Is that right? Yeah, I was super young. (laughs) I got terrified. If you haven't heard that episode with David, my, my childhood trauma, watching The Shining as a very young age and Never being able to sleep in the dark again for... My, okay, let me ask you a question. Have you... Now, there is another movie out. It's called Doctor Sleep. I, I want to see it myself. Actually supposed to be a direct sequel to The Shining. Have you seen Doctor Sleep? Of course not. I told you that I try not to watch scary movies anymore. I okay, got too- just just curious. So that did, that did it. To- Anyways, I was going through some of the articles, and I found this one that was... And it, you, you were the only person I thought of here. So this comes from Joe Blow. The Shining screen prop axe, really, it was, an, it was a prop, has been donated to the Stanley Film Center. <laughs> Last month, one of the prop axes used for the filming of Stanley Kubrick's classic The Shining went up for auction through Gotta Have Rock. Bid started, started, Illua, at $55,000. And a, quote, successful businessman, end quote, was credited with putting in the winning bid at $175,000. IndieWire now reports that the fan slash businessman has donated the acts to the Stanley F- Film Center, a, quote, major film and music entertainment complex, end quote, that is currently being built on the grounds of the iconic Stanley Hotel. That hotel is located in Estes Park, Colorado, which helped inspire King to write The Shining in the first place. The Stanley Film Center is expected to open in the spring of 2024. As IndieWire explains, in addition to being a multi-generational film and music venue, the center will have a museum that celebrates the film horror genre. Well, we know you won't be uh, visiting that anytime soon. The The Stanley Film Center is a nonprofit funded in part by a Colorado State Regional Tourism Grant. The screen used prop acts will be housed in a museum and be incorporated into tours at the Stanley Hotel as the film center opens. The CEO went on to say, I can't think of any more, anything more appropriate than this piece of film history to start the museum's collection. This is the first in many announcements we have to make. Can rename the, the hotel the Overlook, the Overlook in his novel, and Kubrick used the Timberline Lodge in, the, in Oregon as the exterior for the Overlook in the movie. 
Uh, the interiors were the sets, though. But the Stanley Hotel was a filming location for the 1997 miniseries adaptation of The Shining. And King goes on to write about the, uh, the hotel in his book. Jack Torrance's new job at the Overlook Hotel is the perfect chance for a fresh start. As the off-season caretaker of the atmospheric old hotel, he'll have plenty of time to spend reconnecting with his family and working on his writing. But as the harsh winter weather sets in, the ideology location feels ever more remote and more sinister. And the only ones to notice the strange and terrible forces gathering around the Overlook is Danny Torrance, a gifted five-year-old. It was a very cool the fan who won the axe in last month's auction to donate to the Stanley Film Center. That seems like the perfect home for it. So I just thought I, I would throw that in as a piece of information for you. But yeah, so that's $55,000 to start for a prop axe. I can't remember the last time an axe or any sort of prop went for $55,000 to start. But I guess that just shows you how iconic the movie really was, right? Oh, absolutely. I think we all know that. And I think, I don't know, it's just a crazy business the whole collection thing this was the toothpaste used in this movie video game show whatever and then people pay millions of dollars like i don't i always get fascinated by this stuff and he paid he actually ended up paying a hundred fifty five thousand dollars i mean i'll say one thing at least he donated it right <laughs> at least he didn't you know frame it and putting on his wall in his home, you know. You can see that there's definitely too, mu- too many people with too much money on their hands. Well, I mean, look, I would be actually, you know what, though? I would be curious to go see the axe. I would, just on mere principle, just to see the center and everything else. Just like I want to take a trip down to the Academy of Motion Pictures Sciences Museum because I think that would be an absolute blast to go through, seeing all the different memorabilia from all the different movies. And so, but yeah. Oh, I do understand that, and I do understand the purpose of a museum, but, you know, for people to feel like, oh, I want to own that thing, so I'm going to pay millions of dollars so I can have it, I don't know, hanging on my wall or lounging around in my living room so I can show off to, I don't know, I think it would be... Well, I think if people are, tr- like, serious, diehard fans, I think they, they'll go to extreme lengths. In this case, maybe owning an axe, maybe it's getting a prop gun, maybe whatever it is. And it's like, you know, I mean, I don't know what that gets you unless you're going to turn around and resell it in the future. <laughs> but no, yeah, I thought that was kind of a, a nifty little thing to um, to end on. And just on a side note, this has nothing, it's related, but not really. I've always thought that Stanley Kubrick himself is a little scary. I mean, his face is like a... Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? He's kind of... I mean, well, all you got to do is take a look at some of the uh, movies he put out. I mean, Full Metal Jacket, A Clockwork Orange, you know, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Eyes Wide Shut. You know, that was actually his last film before he passed away. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And you go, well, that was like when I was doing the uh, podcast with Anne. Some of Stephen King's inspirations... By the way, I'm going to be putting up tonight... Go listen when I do put it up. Go listen to the Stephen King podcast and you'll find out some really interesting stuff about the guy. But like Stephen King, for example, he, a couple of things about Stephen King. Number one, some of his inspirations was like Ray Bradbury, George Orwell. One of, I mean, one of his favorite books was 1984. 
a dystopian, you know, dystopian land, whatever else. But yeah, he was a Carrie. I mean, some of his actually a little story about Carrie is that he wrote the first three pages and he threw them away and his wife found them in the trash and said, honey, well, why aren't you going to, you know, I don't like this. His wife had asked him, well, why didn't you continue with this? And he said, well, I didn't like it. So she made the suggestion of making into a female character. So that's how Carrie got written back in 1973. And subsequently, he got an advance on the book at the time, which was $2,000. And he got a telegram because his phone got shut off. And then the book ended up going to paperback. And he ended up getting a check for $400,000, which he had to split with the publisher. But that's just incredible to think. And then from there, it just goes, just take a guess. I was asking Ian this the other day. Take a guess at how many books that he's written that have been turned into movies. Jesus, I have no, so many. I'm going to say 13. 49, Eloa. Jesus, that's 49. That, he, I'm 46. He wrote it. He, the first movie that he came out with in 1976 was Carrie. It's been ever since then. I mean, I, I could I'll go on and list them, but I'm not. But it's just 49 books. And once he wrote the first, except for the rest of his life. And the thing is, they're all classics today. Whether it's Cujo, whether it's The Shining, whether it's Firestarter, which is going to be a remake, going to be coming out on Friday, whether it's Christine about the car, whether it's the Tommyknockers. This, I go on and on and on and on. But that just shows you something. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, The Shining is one of his top five, top seven movies, but that's just, that was incredible. To actually researching it, unbelievable. So, anyways, let's, let's tell you what we got coming up this week. Tomorrow, we have Flashback Friday. We're going to be doing Iron Man 2, and that's Anne and I, so that will be fun. And then the week after that, we'll be doing Thor. And then after that will be Captain America First Avenger. Next week, we're going to have a really fun one for you guys. It's going to be called Reboots, Remakes, and Sequels. The three things that drive Hollywood. And so that's going to be a blast. And then the week after that, we're going to be doing Tom Cruise movies. Which, I mean, since 1983, he's just gone on to do like hundreds and hundreds of kidding. But been quite a few. And we'll pick out his uh, probably like top eight, top nine movies. And then we've got, starting in June, we've got Sci-Fi Sundays that are going to be starting. Just want to give everybody a heads up. It will be a subscription service. Uh, I haven't really thought about how much it is. It's either going to be like four ninety nine or it's like seven ninety nine or something. It's going to be really cheap for you guys. But if you don't want to subscribe to that, don't worry, we've got a ton of other stuff. You're going to be able to get the main topic podcast. You'll be able to get the weekly roundup and flashback Fridays. So not to worry there. we got exciting stuff coming up this summer. As I said earlier, Top Gun released at the end of this month. And then we have Thor, beginning of July. And then we have Lightyear, which will be interesting, in June. And a bunch of other stuff. So stay tuned. If you haven't hit that follow button... Hit the follow button now so you never miss a podcast. All right. I'm David Steele. I'm Eloa Orazen. And you have been listening to Real Talks.